What's up, everybody? Good morning, buenos dias, bom dia, Ohio. That's Japanese for you. Welcome to the Michaelpreneur Podcast. And today we're talking with Jacob Alvarez of Garden State Mushrooms about his pioneering work and the development of cultivation techniques for the beefsteak fungus, Fistulina hepatica, which is redolent of a slab of raw meat and features a flavor profile of tangy citrus. Beefsteak fungus have so far eluded commercial cultivation techniques and are reserved exclusively for those who forage them in the wild. But Jacob Alvarez has been working to flip the script on all of that as we hurdle towards a future in which sustainable and affordable alternatives to the industrial meat complex are increasingly in demand. Mycelium meats, such as those being developed by Atlas Food Co., as well as mushrooms like the beefsteak fungus, present a possible path forward for a regenerative solution to feeding a growing planetary population while reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So, without further ado, let's get this show on the road and hear what Jacob of Garden State Mushrooms has to say about his work pioneering the cultivation of beefsteak fungus. Que pasa, Mufasa? Jacob Alvarez of Garden State Mushrooms, welcome to the Michaelpreneur Podcast. How's it going today, brother? Hey, it's going really good. It's a beautiful day down here in South Jersey. How's it going? I'm doing fantastic, man. Enjoying my Friday. Going to go grab a nice craft beer after this. But before we get to that, let's get down to the nitty gritty. You've been heavily invested in developing a beefsteak mushroom cultivation process. Now, the beefsteak mushroom, for those who have not heard it, is also known as the Fistulina hepatica. And it's a polypore mushroom or a shelf mushroom, some might call it. And to my knowledge, I've never come across one in the wild, and I've never heard of anybody trying to cultivate one. So why did you decide to cultivate the Fistulina hepatica beefsteak mushroom, Jacob? There's a lot in that, you know. So first, it's really the irony is why I chose this mushroom. Because when I first started in my career of picking wild mushrooms, I totally disregarded this mushroom. Because as like an amateur, you're always interested in like the chicken of the woods or like morels or something like that and i would always find the beefsteak mushroom because it's pretty common here in new jersey it's weird that's common and other areas is very rare but um i'd find it disregard it um because i heard it was sour and like not sought after it could be like um it's not something people usually go for um doesn't really have much use and that's because no one's really like had a good chef behind it, I guess. Like I, I met this guy, Randy, um, from River Twice out of Philadelphia. And he like did this raw application one year. And that's when it like blew my brain. I'm like, wait, there are no gourmet mushrooms that you can eat raw. Why don't other people care about this? And that's kind of what hit me. It was just like, wow, for years, like you just like throwing these things out, didn't even care. But little did you know, this is probably like the best thing you could ever cultivate. And that's kind of where I got obsessed was like once I seen that use of it, I'm like, oh, this is the only thing, one of the only things that we could grow that people could eat raw. And that's what really got me like obsessed with it. Right. So how has the development of this process gone? Because with anything, right, you've been working on this for several years, as I understand it. Maybe you had, yeah, maybe you had some early successes, you know, and you got obviously excited enough excited enough about it to continue the project for so long. So I know you did a podcast with Darren, right, with Welcome to Mushroom Hour, where you talked about this. What are some of the developments or evolutions since that point when you did the podcast? Yeah, let's do that. That's that's what I'm like itching to talk about, because like I just listened to that podcast. And I'm like, oh, man, there's so much that happened in such a short amount of time. So um, since then, um, I think we know how to grow it. 
Like just just to summarize, I really think we know how to grow it. Like I'll know in a week if the yields are there, but like we're pretty sure we know substrate parameters, um, all that stuff. But um, so let me just sum up what I said in there in like two minutes, and then I'll give the update. So um, I first found this thing back in August 2019 at a local state park. Um, just found it on a stump. It's probably the second or third one that I found um, that year. I was like, ah, I'll just grab it and uh, I ended up grabbing it and I didn't even realize at the time but I grabbed it off of a stump and um, they're usually found on like dead-ish living trees but that's the first time I found on a rotting stump and uh, I cultured that one that whole year happened where I was just like kind of making like small little five pound bags and they pin like crazy and like I get like a little tiny fruit-ish but like I was making bags and throwing them out um then one day I kind of like realized that like, wait, maybe they're like super photosensitive because I was reading all, there's like a research paper. If you Google it, there's like a, it's from like the nineties of like how to grow it. Um, they talked about being really photosensitive and I remember growing cordyceps and I was just like looking at these pictures of these bags with all these blobs on them. I'm like, what if we just like light deprive them like super hardcore, like don't even check on them hardcore. So me and my buddy Ben, who works for me, we started working on that project last year where we just like made bags, we threw them in the dark and we just didn't check on them. That led to us harvesting maybe like six ounces of the mushroom. And uh, we got like super excited over that. And that like gave us like kind of a sense of what we were doing. And now in this year, I have Michael Politan making the trial bags and they made about 15, and out of those 15, like two of them with the sub that we knew would work seem to be working. Like, I'm 99% sure that they're gonna yield like a pound. And uh, if it yields anywhere near a pound, then that's kind of like we're in commercial cultivation because it's such a high value fungus that you really only need like a half a pound for it to be worth growing. Hell yeah, dude. So, what are some of the adaptations that you implemented to get to that point? So, it's mainly that like light process. You really gotta like, minimize the light because that light is their trigger they're super photosensitive like anytime you find them they're kind of like in nooks and crannies and trees like hiding away so in that process you really just were like these things stay in the dark up until that last three weeks when they hit the grow room and then we're either letting them like kind of pin in vitro a little bit or we'll get them before they fully pin because you can kind of tell where the pins are coming then you free that out and then it'll grow from there um that's kind of been like what we learn since then because like from then we were kind of just like oh blobs free the best blob but now we know it's not even really about the best blob it's kind of you got to get it before it even blobs because if you pick best blob then it, it like i just posted on my story it pushes against like the plastic and then the tubes go on like the periphery and it doesn't like fully form um you're kind of just like stunting the mushroom there's like a key phase um that's why i said so process oriented with like the light deprivation and when you free the pin to get that path of least resistance because, you know, it does take, like, a long time to grow compared to, like, an oyster or something that will just, like, be resilient and just grow no matter what. So I'd love to hear about your educational background. Like, you seem like you really know your shit and you're growing and you're, like, pioneering some stuff here. Like, did you did you take classes, like, formal classes in mycology? <laughs> so, never, ever. <laughs> and this is what I was, like, excited to talk about because I never really got to talk about this, right? So, um I never really paid attention to my education. Um, I was like really distracted in school. Um, 
I don't even know. I might even finish close to last in my graduating class. <laughs> at like 740 or like 770 or something. Like I wasn't even in school. I like skipped a bunch and um that never interested me. I was always like in the real world. So like at a young age, like I worked on farms. Um I worked on Huffman Farms and Violin. Uh our business is really seasonal with um all the flower all the um churches. We would supply them flowers for all the different like Mother's Day, Easter, stuff like that. And um, that's kind of where I first got my first taste of like, oh, wow, this is what it's like working in a greenhouse, working in agriculture. Um, and then from there, um, out, of, out of high school, I pursued like some higher education in business. Like I went to college for a couple of days. I dropped out first semester, just couldn't sit in class, just couldn't concentrate. Um, <clears throat> tried to go to real estate school. I failed that test three times. Um, and then I landed a job at Verizon, right? So I was at Verizon. I had no, it was a sales job, a commission sales job selling phones. And I had no clue. Uh, my boss was like, kind of like pushy of like, you better learn quicker out of here. Like you have a quota and I'm like living this quota life. Um, and then with eight months, I became a manager there or as the youngest manager in the company. So like 18, I was running one of their stores and, um, out of full staff. That was really stressful. I was like on path to make like hundred K a year. And like, I just quit. <laughs> like I just walked away. I was just like, everything was going really well, but then I just like had no free time. And like, I really missed agriculture and like getting my hands dirty. And I was living like this uh, pish posh ha, ha quota life. And like, yeah, it was like paying the bills, but <laughs> it wasn't what I liked. And, uh, I found mushrooms like it was like a weird thing of how I found mushrooms like um once I quit my job cause, like I had a decent amount of money where I could quit that job so I quit and I was like I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do but I'm just gonna quit I still with my parents at the time and I was just like eh, I don't know what the hell's going on everyone's mad I don't have a job and I'm just pursuing this mushroom thing because I found like some chanterelles in my grandma's yard then some chicken in the woods and next you know I had like 30 pounds and like bring up to Philly and I'm like I made 300 bucks in one day I don't need a job and I'm like next thing you know like we're hitting the woods we're pulling like 100 pounds of chicken in the woods and then like I started like really like foraging heavy in that aspect you know like I had the cultivation project on the side but there was like really never like kind of like a business um and then one day I kind of just like clicked and I'm like oh shit like Kennett Square is right there it's the mushroom capital of the world so I made a bunch of connections out there and then like built this system and that's kind of how it went, but like no formal education whatsoever. Just like being a madman and just like getting in the car and being like, "Hey, babe, like me and my girl hit the road. Like we're going to Massachusetts. Mushroom revival city wants help making cordyceps jars. Like I just did five hundred jars of cordyceps. She says doing fifteen thousand. I want to see what he's doing. Let's go hit the road. <laughs> Leave at four a.m. Get there at nine a.m. They're like, you drove from South Jersey. I'm like, yep, let's go. <laughs> so like that's kind of how I learned was just like showing up. You know what I mean? Showing up and being like, what's up? Like, how can I help you guys? Like, I need to learn. Like, this is what I'm doing. And just, like, put myself out there. Um, no school backing, no any of that. Like, I tried to go that path, but, like, the only thing I could find was, like, do you want to control the bugs in Kennet grow houses or the bacteria? It was, like, jobs like that. Like, I couldn't really find, like, this, which was, like, you know, it started as, like, we're talking about beef steaks, but it started as, like, growing mushrooms for people and now it turned into like i'm pioneering this thing we're still doing that on this like that's still a thing but like i'm trying to transition over let's loop back to the beefsteak man uh wh wh when was the first time you found a beefsteak what's the origin story there and did you eat it raw or, or you know what are some of the dishes that you like to make with beefsteaks the first time i ever found one i threw it out <laughs> 
And uh, it was because it was the first time I ever found chicken in the woods. So I was at my grandmom's cutting the grass. I'd always do that for her. Um, she's a little older. So she lives in like the middle of like an oak and mixed pine woods out in South Jersey. So I cut her grass for her. I found some chanterelles. I found some black trumpets. I found like all these choice edibles. And then I like told my brother, I was like, you got to come here. So like we went there and as we turned the corner on her road, it was like a giant chicken of the woods. And I was like, whoa. So we pick it all. And then like, he's like, yo, what's that pink thing? And then he like comes with this little pink thing. And I'm like, I don't know what it is. I don't care. Like all the chicken of the woods. And then like, he looks it up. He's like, it's a beefsteak mushroom. People say it's sour. Or like some people say it's good. It has mixed reviews. I was like, well, I have mixed reviews. It must suck. And just threw it out. And he's like, what are you doing? And like, I, I don't want it. And that was like the first time I found it. Just like didn't even care about it the second time I found it was um I'm pretty sure it was the one I cultured maybe it was the third one it was one of the at least one of the first five that I found was at Parvin's on that stump um then that's when I kind of got interested in it that's from 2019 in August and then um in 2020 we had like the universe step in dude like um I put a calling out there I was like yeah I'm really interested in this mushroom like I even pay people to send me samples can you please send me samples? And then like that same week, my aunt came to see my daughter because I just had a baby at the time, right? So she came over to see my daughter and she was like, you know that my boss has all this land like down the street from me. You could like forage it, right? And I'm like, okay, sure, thanks. I go there, I walk out with 10 pounds of beef steak the first day. And it was like, holy crap, we got all the genetics now. And uh, it just kept escalating from there. And now like I have all these spots where like in a foraging season, you pick like 50 pounds at a time. Um, as far as like eating it goes, yeah, I've eaten it raw. I've eaten cultivated ones raw, which are delicious. Um, people always ask that, like, how are the cultivated ones going to taste? Or they ain't different. And, um, I thought they were less sour until I ate one that was like super sour. So like, yeah, they still have that, um, sour-ishness to them. Uh, but I love the raw application. If you're asking me, I just like slice them up raw, a little liquid seasoning. Um, I like marinating them whole, which is pretty cool too. You can like throw them in a bag like marinate them like you would a piece of meat and then cook them up that way. That's another cool way to do it. Um, Beefsteak jerky, in my opinion, is like spot on. Like my buddy, um, he's working at River Twice now and um, he's like become obsessed with jerky. He wants to make like his own like jerky company and stuff. He made like black trumpet jerky and he brought me some beefsteak jerky and it was like out of this world. Um, So that's like probably my three favorite ways. I'd say like raw, straight up, simple, a little bit of like fresh herbs, liquid seasonings um or jerky or marinating the whole like i think you could even like this isn't to another topic but i think there's even a company that could be made where it's just that it's like three ounce marinated beef steaks vacuum sealed sold as like meat substitutes obviously it wouldn't be that shelf stable but it's just an idea let's tap into that because that's one of the questions is the rise of mycelium meats is here obviously it's not super mainstream now but like I've been seeing them pop up and here and here and there and, you know, people getting their hands on mycelium meats. And we have an increasingly carbon offset minded government like they're investing in these initiatives to like reduce the amount of meat consumption. Now, like I don't want to, you know, necessarily give a political hot take on that because I don't really understand the whole situation that's going on there. But what I do know is that there seems to be this concerted drive to have like less industrial meat consumption and less meat consumption worldwide. And mycelium seems to fit nicely into that slot of like, yeah, like what, what about being able to grow and produce mycelium steaks that are affordable for people too? That's one thing I think is a really important component. And I've had a micropreneur from Mexico that was on the podcast. He's a professor who has engineered and developed mycelium steaks. And his goal 
is to make it affordable. Oh, he's amazing. He's written a bunch of peer-reviewed papers. Uh, Efren Robledo is his name. I'll link, I'll link you up with him. But his, his thing is like, well, okay, so mycelium meats is coming out. Like, who cares if it's 30 bucks a steak, you know, and like a lot of people can't afford. What about like this mass amount of people who don't have great diets or can't afford these kinds of things? If we could grow mushroom mycelium meats for them. And I start thinking about that. I'm like, well, what you're doing in the beefsteak sounds pretty appealing. It sounds very natural as opposed maybe to like this goop. Like, I don't really know how they make mycelium steaks, but like, just be curious to hear, is that something you'd consider getting involved in in the future? Is like trying to scale. That's where I think it's going. Um, it sounds crazy because like my existing business is in place. We're, we're servicing a lot of people and um, I'm like ready to shut it down. Like I see this future. Like I, I really believe that this is like a huge deal. Like I mean my Taki's already been around since they only been around since the 80s. Like commercial cultivation. Um, same with like lines being like a Black Pearl just popping up recently. Like this beefsteak thing is going to lead to so many people in the food space being like, whoa, wait, there's a mushroom that literally bleeds and looks like meat. Like, why aren't we using this? You know what I mean? It's like the ultimate way to trick your mind. It's like people are, oh, I can never give up meat. It's like well, that mushroom is absolutely delicious. So it's like that might it might be its own thing. You know what I mean? Like selling fresh beefsteaks to like chefs and restaurants or like the people that want to buy them is one thing. But I think like you're saying like the mycelium steaks, I think you could have beefsteak steaks. Like we could, because the ones I'm growing out now, they look like they're going to be about a half pound, like just an individual shelf. So like what the steaks typically eight ounce serving, no? Or like in a restaurant, you see like a piece of fish, like a three ounce serving, maybe something like that, or like quarter pound. So it's like, these don't have to be big mushrooms in order to like have that as like a product. Um, so yeah, I could definitely see that happening. Hell yeah. I mean, the first time that I ever ate lion's mane, it blew my mind. Like I'd heard about it. I'd seen it in supplements, but like I'm from California and San Diego specifically, like doesn't have a big mushroom culture. Of course it's changing. It's growing. Oh yeah. I mean, there are mycophiles out there for sure. I'm part of San Diego mycological society, but like it's not the same. Like I don't know anyone who grew up foraging, you know, and like I'd never seen a lion's mane or a morel, but the first time I got my hands on some lion's mane and we made some crab cakes and, you know, I made some tacos, lion's mane tacos with ponzu sauce. I was like, this shit's like miracle meat, dog. Like this is, I'd rather have, I'd rather have like chanterelles and lion's mane well, you know, cooked well and creatively than like a steak and lobster per personally in a lot of ways. Like it's something very uh, inspiring, very exciting about it. And also it's awesome when you can get them from your environment, you know, which we don't have them there, obviously. So we have to cultivate them. But I just think that I want more people to know that, you know, I've posted a few stories like on my Facebook or whatever of like when I've had lion's mane and I got people hitting me up who are like, dude, I want to try some. I've never seen it. It's like, well, how can we make it more accessible for people? Part of my understanding, it's not. And part of my understanding with lion's mane is it's not shelf stable. So like a lot of stores. Yeah. So, I mean, there's workarounds, I suppose, you know, I'm sure there's someone out there, a micropreneur pioneering something for that right now. But at the same time, like the, I guess the answer there is just like get more people and more communities growing and cultivating and like, and, and learning how to forage too. So it's looping back to the foraging. Cause I think that's so awesome. Like I've quite literally been on like probably like 24 days of my life. You know, it's not something I grew up doing, but I started getting into it over the last two years or so and just getting stoked on it. And what are some of the other mushrooms that you forage? You mentioned you found chanterelles and chicken of the woods and the black trumpets. It gets really hectic out here because like within that one mushroom, there's like, you know, the subspecies and all these different ones. So it's like, 
we're finding like four different species of chanterelles and unidentified like black trumpet looking ish mushrooms and like the first year I ever met Tug, um, two gnomes on Instagram, he's like super mushroom expert. Um, first year I ever met him, we found two unidentified bleats in South Jersey. Like, so I'm finding loads of stuff. Um, three different, no, I haven't found the, um, whatchamacallit though, um, the uh, coral tooth lion's mane. We get like the bear's head and like the t- traditional lion's mane. Um, Oyster, my taki season here is really good. Chicken of the wood season here is ridiculous. Like five hundred pounds is nothing in a season here. It's like everywhere. It's nothing but oaks in South Jersey. Um, beef steaks as well. What else do we got? Bleats, like you wouldn't believe. Like probably like seven different of what we could categorize like porcini species with the reticulation. Um, so yeah, like dozens of different stuff. My favorite one has to be probably the uh, curry bleat or the beef bleat. And these bleats smell exactly like their name says, like a beef bullion cube or like curry spice. They're absolutely awesome. Holy guacamole, man. Now you're making me want to come out there and go foraging with all you guys. It's great. Hey, you should. It's cool. It's the best area. I'm trying to get out there again. You know, I'm West Coast and like, but I travel a lot. So I'm sure at some point it'll line up. But one of the other things I hear about coming out of the East Coast, they've been all the rage or like they've been quite popularized in the last year is these psilocybe ovoids. Have you come across those? I haven't personally, but I'm aware of people that have out in regions that like I've been in. I've experienced them. That's like a separate question. Um, and I've seen them. So, yeah, they're out there and not really that hard to find, usually like wood chippy stuff, but I've personally never seen them. Um, but yeah, my friends have. <laughs> well, let's tap into that for a second. I always like to dive into psychedelic experiences. You know, we could talk about your first experience or a meaningful experience you had or, you know, any number of different things. But let's let's tap into that for a second. Wow. This is crazy, though, ready? Because I've never been asked that so just like casually, you know. And there's a lot for me in that because like out of corporate world, I found those mushrooms and they like helped me. I don't know how to describe it. Now I'm helping them. I don't know if that sounds like is this guy fucking crazy, but um, I don't know. Like one night, dude, like I was on so many mushrooms and um, like all my dead family members came back. Like my dead sensei, cause I do martial arts. Uh, he died uh, during a storm. Uh, his oxygen went out. I never got to say bye. Uh, he came back, dude, and like sat next to me. He didn't even walk. He's like a wheelchair. Uh, talk to me. <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, dude, I don't even know really what to say. Like, that's probably the deepest thing I've ever had. Like, I've gotten a lot of closure and like all that sadness or like unanswered questions were kind of answered. And then like I got shifted into like mushroom obsession mood. Like, I don't even know how to put it. Um, like the mushrooms made me obsessed with them. like i don't know like and other people have said this to me too they're like yeah that's what happened to me i'm like yeah it's like i'm just obsessed with mushrooms now like i can like feel certain like seasons like i know when things are out like i don't know how to describe it like maybe it's a frequency or like you just know like i just know i'm just like yo watch this and like it's out so like i feel like i'm like interconnected to these things now like even with like the beefsteaks like and mushrooms in general, like, I just, like, in the grow environment, like, oh, that's not enough oxygen, or, like, that's not this, or, like, that, like, I, like, I talk to these things, and it's, I sound like a batshit crazy fuck, but, you know, I edit that out, but, 
I think other, <laughs> please don't if you don't have to, <laughs> but <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> you're in batshit crazy fuck good company right now because uh, <laughs> uh, this is a story that only people like yourself perhaps will actually appreciate and relate to because sometimes I stop telling this story to people because they're like, yeah, whatever, dog. But like my my freshman year of college, I had eaten an eighth of mushrooms out near Ocean Beach in San Francisco, and I was walking through all of Golden Gate Park through the paths to get back to campus. And I just hear, I'm, I'm peeking at this point, and I hear beep, 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 and like this really strange signal coming. I'm like, that what the fuck is that? So I, I got off the path and it's getting dark and I'm like walking through the bushes, getting closer to beep, beep. I look down, it's a family of mushrooms, dog. And like it, it, it audibly communicated to me and took me off my path to go find this thing. <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> I get it though. That's like me in the woods, bro. Someone's like, take me on a beefsteak foray. We're walking. I'm like, check behind that oak. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's 100 feet away. I'm like, go walk through all that shit. It's behind that oak. And then they go, like, there's a beefsteak mushroom. <laughs> like, I told you. <laughs> they told me. But that, that's what, for me, shifted my focus so heavily towards psilocybin mushrooms and towards mushrooms was recognizing them through some early high dose experiences that I believe they're a sentient intelligence. And like, and right. So, and, but for a lot of people, that, and, and, and for, for a lot of the culture at large, like, you'll still get put in the loony bin. Like, this guy's nuts. <laughs> no, but, no, I, I totally agree um, that that's how it works. Because that's how at least it worked for me. Um, but if we really want to get on to it, like, um, I went on, like, a bender. Um, I probably took these things, like, every day for months. I took doses as high as, like, a half ounce, like, quarter in the morning, a quarter at night. I, like, fell in this hole of, like... I could displace time and revisit my past. I was just like getting closure and like going to all these different places and like everything that's happened in my life. Cause I've ne I haven't taken any mushrooms since 2018. Um, I wrote all this down. It's all happened. So like, that's why I'm like taking them anymore for like, for me, at least they're like, they help me to like predict things. Like, I don't know if that sounds crazy, but like, I could just like, they, they taught me something like you're saying, like they teach you things and, I always tell people to err on the side of caution of thinking, um, like, like small doses better. Um, like the, the lower the dose, the better, in my opinion, because like, you don't know where your rabbit hole goes. My rabbit hole went weird. I was on like mountains and shit, <laughs> like as a blue orb of energy and like was a kid again. And then like, I went through all these different things and like, there was a time in my life where it was kind of like hard to like, just be a person in like that moment. So I don't know if that went deep and weird, <laughs> but uh, that's just like my story. Um, but I got through that and now I'm here. So like at the end of the day, I changed nothing about it because I have the good, the bad, the ugly, the, you know, because everyone's always worried about the bad trips, right? <laughs> that's like the thing, right? Oh, the bad trip. But uh, there's no bad trips ever. It's just like learning, you know, it teaches you every time. So it's like just about like setting your intention, like, you know using it in the manner that's going to benefit you, you know, there's no like rules, you know, just be like responsible and, you know, um, I don't know, what's a good resource online. Um, the decriminalization Instagram is pretty cool. Um, the guy, William Goss is really awesome. Uh, I met him. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. I met him at mushroom revival 
in like 2018. Uh, I keep up with him regularly. I set him, or I think he actually bought it. He bought one of my cultures. Um, so he has one of the beef steak cultures. He's a cool guy. Um, grow like a bunch of portobellos and stuff. And I still got to send him that Amundegarikas culture. He's going to hear this and be like, yeah, he does. <laughs> I still got to send him that. <laughs> I'm the worst at sending cultures, dude. <laughs> what are you working on right now? And what do you got going on in the next six months or so? My daughter's about to be two and I'm about to have another baby in a couple months. It's like really exciting. We wanted to have our kids within a couple years apart. Cause like me and my brother are like six years apart and it's like two different, like, you know, I'm a teenager. He's still a kid. I kind of wanted them to grow up like together. Cause me and my brother, we grew up together, but like, you know, I'm dating chicks and he's still playing with dolls. And it's like, I want to, so we intentionally had both of our kids, which is also cool to say. Um, we like agreed, let's try and see if we can make a child, made and did. Um, so yeah, that, that one's coming, and maybe once they're grown, I'll probably get back into it. But until then, I'm like so scatterbrained, and I have so many projects going on, and I just gotta like, because I got a lot going on, even outside of mushrooms. Like I'm pursuing like this pro athlete thing. Wow, you can't just casually drop that. What are you doing? What are you doing? Well, it's like a hippie sport, you know. Disc golf. It's it got really popular in the last couple of years, especially the pandemic. Uh, the numbers like tripled. There's like real money getting pumped into it now. Like there's people like six figure deals and stuff. And out in South Jersey, I'm probably like one of the better players in the region. Uh, I've been playing for about seven years, and like. I, like, actually play at a pro level. Like, when I go to the tournaments, like, I actually score, like, levels that guys that have sponsored deals. I still don't have a deal yet, um, so I'm still, like, new. But, like, that's what I'm pursuing because it's, like, it's relevant. Like, it's, like, a hippie sport. We're out in nature. Like, believe it or not, some mushroom spots of mine are, like, at disc golf courses because it's, like, in the woods. Um, But, like, yeah, that's what I'm pursuing in, like, my spare time. (laughs) Whatever that is. I don't really have spare time. (laughs) I kind of sleep five hours. That's like my thing. Four hours, five hours. Like a true Michael file. Well, dude, this might not surprise you, but I've been playing disc golf for 10 years and haven't, haven't played as much recently because, yeah, I mean, San Diego has a really awesome course and High Times named one of our holes in San Diego one of the top smoke spots in the U.S. Our friends would bring their dogs and then some, we'd have to like train the dogs not to grab the frisbees when you throw them. But yeah, I love that sport. You're making me want to play right now and go. Let's go. Yeah, we're all just a bunch of stoners out here playing disc golf. <laughs> Damn, pioneering beefsteak mushroom cultivation techniques and shooting thousand plus scores, man. You got the life, dude. You, If anybody has like superseded the matrix, I want to go ahead and say that. I think you found your way. I'm trying. <laughs> it's like not as glamorous as it sounds. It's been a lot of the <laughs> but we're on to this part now because the business has been a roller coaster. Um, I lost a lot of money during the pandemic. Um, enough money to make any sane person lose their fucking mind, probably pull their hair out and quit. And I doubled down and spent even more money and uh, lost even more money. And then I uh, just kept spending more money. And now I'm making it back. So it's like, it's all relative, you know? Well, dude, let's, uh, we're hitting the sweet spot right now in the timing for the podcast. So let's, let's wrap it up by you letting us know, are there any other projects that you want to promote that you're actively involved with right now that you want to drop on the people and any parting shots you have for the audience? It's mainly the beef sticks. That's like all my eggs are in that basket. And that's another thing, you know, like as an entrepreneur, you don't really want to put all your eggs in that basket. And for me, they are like, I have my CSA, which like, um, people that listen to us, if you want to know CSA are CSA is, it's community support agriculture. Uh, people pay up front and then they get a subscription. Uh, I would definitely recommend that if you run a mushroom farm, it's very helpful. Uh, I made the most money ever doing that. 
So definitely do that. But um, that's like my bread and butter that like keeps things going. And then like the beefsteak is like the passion project. So it's mainly just like the beefsteaks. Like um, I spent a long time trying to get people to like back me doing this. I emailed tons of farms. Nobody took on the project except Brian and Tyler at Micropolitan. Courtney was down, but the shipping logistics was just like insane. He's out in Minnesota. And um, the shipping's insane. So like it, it didn't really work out to have him run all the bulk. But like Brian and Tyler are doing it now. Um, what's today? It's the 15th. Uh, in a week from now, Brian will have phase two bags for me to pick up. And it's weird because like I'm going up there with the harvestable beefsteak from phase one. And he's giving me phase two bags. So it's like, that's the main thing that we're working on. It's like, we really want by the summer to be like, yeah, chefs. Yeah, people, we got three pound boxes. Like get on the list before like we're like perpetually sold out. So that's where I think it's going. Oh, and I also want to teach other farmers how to grow this. Because like, this is so empowering for entrepreneurs, small scale farmers that don't have a lot of space that can use that space to grow beefsteak mushrooms which is a high value mushroom and you can maximize that space um it's 25 bucks a pound as opposed to something like oysters that at the end of the day you're gonna have to sell for five to seven a pound if you want to sell to big restaurants um, so that's like the other end of it is i want to like empower people like me that have no clue how to like get into this business with something new that they don't have to worry about the other farms because they don't even grow it it's something else i could just like teach them and like grow that entrepreneurial spirit of like I was the first one through the door, and I run with it, and let's build this thing up. And, like, I want, like, beefsteaks to be, like, common in five years. Hell yeah. I want to see that, too. Jacob Alvarez, Garden State Mushrooms, thank you so much for coming on the Micropreneur Podcast, man. Well, have a great day, a great weekend, and congratulations on the forthcoming child. You, too. Thanks, uh, everyone, for listening. Okie dokie, karaoke. What did you all think of that episode? I'm learning so much every time I host a new micropreneur, and that's what it's all about. If you ask me, ongoing personal research and development, which works particularly well with the network effect, just ask the mycelium. You can reach me at micopreneur at gmail.com, micropreneur podcast on Instagram, or www.micopreneur.com. Thank you sincerely for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed producing this episode. Take care of yourself and don't be a stranger. Peace, everybody. Peace.